Welcome to What's NXT, the podcast about the best weekly wrestling television show, NXT. I'm Tristan Marsh. I'm Alec Fazio. And this is NXT for November 22nd, 2017, episode 421. That's right. Blaze it. You know, I'm going to have to go for 420, Bob. $420. 421. Her bid is $421. Tiffany does win with that $1. It's like uh, a drug thing. This is just dried oregano. (laughs) Clear your pipe out. Tap that thing up against the edge of the thing. We have a gigantic episode this week. First, we're going to talk about the NXT episode, but then we're going to do a huge rundown of War Games. Let's rush through some bullshit. All right. You watch Raw I this saw week? YouTube clips of the ladies. That's it. Oh, yeah? Little annoyed that they forgot about Asuka. Eh. Well, you don't want to see Asuka wrecking all the new people coming out. And if she doesn't wreck all the new That's people, true. then why have her there? Very true. I guess it's more that they had a contendership match for uh, the Women's Championship. Everybody was like, Asuka? Yeah. Who's that? No, it was a clue that something weird was going to happen, I'm sure. And also, Sonya shows up on Raw. Speaking of which, did you see SmackDown? I saw the YouTube clip on that one, too. Yeah, so you know that Ruby is uh, leading the charge on that roster. That was a little weird. Did you watch Survivor Mm, Series? No. Wait, I saw the Elias Sampson match. (laughs) The pre-show. Okay, so between the two of us, we saw everything from Survivor Series. It was Elias versus Matt Hardy. Poor Matt Hardy. God bless Matt Hardy. Yeah, God bless Matt Hardy. I enjoyed a number of the matches, except for the fact that there are no stakes at Survivor Series. Well, you know, I'm really disappointed that they took Jinder off the card, so I didn't watch. (laughs) (laughs) And last but not least, you watched 205 Live? This is going to sound terrible. I did. I watched about five to ten minutes of it. Say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so. I'd watch the Drew Gulak match. I did not, but I'm glad that you're finally at least watching Drew Gulak. Now my joke is totally gone now. I can't say what's that anymore. Let's get to it. Let's get to the NXT episode first. We've got two matches. Ruby versus Sonya. That's up first. Ruby and Sonya are now on SmackDown and Raw, so that's pretty weird. Ruby's ankle is acting up. She's, you know, hopping around on one leg. What is Ruby Riot's best attribute, Nigel? The whole journey that she's taken to get to NXT, she's really had to stand on her own two feet. Ruby does a pretty cool-looking one-legged slingshot DDT. They're now both kind of so busted up that she can't get cover. Ruby gets fired up. Does a slingshot senton. Right, using Ooh, one leg oh. to springboard into oh the senton. Well, that was clever. And DeVille still kicks out. Sonya bounces back, gets a shining wizard on Ruby, and goes to apply an arm bar. Ruby is reaching for the ropes, and <laughs> Nigel continues the thread that Sonya set up from their promo a couple weeks back, where he calls going for ropes the coward's way out. To the triangle arm bar! Look, she's trying to take the coward's way out again! That's not the coward's coward's way out, Nigel! All of the other commentators are like, Well within the rules, drop to hold! Oh, but she changed the hold because she knew she was close to the ropes! She should tap out now! Save your ankle! Nigel is really coming into his own as a complete douchebag. Nigel's really winning me over with his, like, craziness. Sonya transitions the armbar 
to an ankle lock, and it really looks like it's going to be the end for Ruby. Ruby slowly crawls at a snail's pace to one of the ropes. She finally grabs it. Ruby's resilient, man. She ain't trying to give up. The referee forces the break. Sonya finally relents, but then starts yelling at the ref. Just like uh, Brian Danielson used to. She's like, I had until five. You can't break me off until five. And while she's yelling at the ref, Ruby surprises Sonya with a Pele kick and gets the win. Got it! The last little bit that we get here is a shot of Sonya Deville walking away looking like she's about to cry it's something that some heels do but that not enough heels do i really like when a tough guy heel either gets hit or loses and looks like they're going to cry it really solidifies them as maybe a secret weenie yeah i could see sony deville being a secret weenie yeah and pete dunn definitely is a pete dunn is an out in the open weenie (laughs) <laughs> I love Pete Dunne. I think he's great to be that kind of weenie. How did you like this match? I really liked it. I thought it was a fun way to end the little uh, back and forth, which is really the only reason why we had this match at all. I get the feeling yeah. they got called up unexpectedly. I don't know if that's actually true. It seemed like they were building a program between the two of them, and then all of a sudden, you're getting called up. You're on one show. You're on the other show. <laughs> it seemed like a good way to put everything to rest with this. Uh, the story was pretty good because it was just, Ruby, can she overcome the injury? Like, last time, she was completely taken out of the action by the injured ankle. She got pinned and everything. Uh, this time, she's going to try and fight her way through. It's difficult to do wrestling moves when you're trying to sell that one of your legs doesn't work but i think that for the most part she did a pretty good job i think for the most part she altered the moves in a way that made me happy you know i was like okay i can kind of suspend this belief for this this is pretty good she does a one-legged slingshot ddt and a one-legged slingshot senton and those like she sold the difficulty of getting into position and kept only one foot on the rope long enough that i was like that That's cool. That's good work. I feel like she was aware of when she was putting too much weight on the foot, when she was like rushing around, because you'd only see that for really short bursts where it was necessary for her to close distance or do things that made it more understandable that she'd be in that situation. So I thought that that was pretty good. I admired that. And I also really liked that Sonya Deville secured her heel status on the way out by not doing like a really good, quick, clean break on the leg. And she really did. Yeah. I, I like that extra that extra moment she took so that Ruby could yell, get her off me, get her off. This match falls squarely into the template that they've set up now for when you get called to the main roster. And it's a really short, unresolved rivalry. And then you get called up to the roster and then you do one more match on NXT before you are firmly on the main roster. Does it count as a rivalry if your rivalry is one promo segment a week before you get called up? (laughs) I feel like that short rivalry has been getting shorter and shorter. Because with Ty Dillinger, it was a month or two of Sanity showing up. Ah, join Sanity! And him being like, no, I'm the good guy. NXT continues to do really fun, interesting nicknames for everybody. But this is, I think, the first time that it failed for me. Because 
Sonia, out of nowhere, gets the really good nickname, the Jersey Devil. The Jersey Devil, Sonia Deville, who had Ruby Riot, is going to finish what she started. She will make Ruby Riot tap tonight. Oh, that's so perfect for her. That is pretty good, yeah. And then a little later in the match, they call Ruby Riot the punk rock princess. No love lost between the Jersey Devil and the punk rock princess. But she's not a princess. Kyrie Sane is a pirate princess. Yes. Ruby Riot is not a princess. What no. what are you talking about? Also, when I hear punk rock princess, I hear that like stupid obnoxious. You know, one of those like those like new punk like pop punky, you know, little sister rock stuff. <laughs> There's a song with that lyric in there. I don't know. My girlfriend listens to it sometimes to annoy me. Like you mentioned, there was a very clear, focused story of can Ruby Riot overcome this really bad injury or can Sonya Deville completely capitalize on it? She's really had to stand on her own two feet. We end with Johnny Gargano versus Pete Dunne, which was a really, really good match. Pete Dunne is obviously the best because... Johnny Gargano comes out, and obviously there's so much love for Johnny Gargano. Johnny Gargano! But Pete Dunne comes out, and... See what you did there, Mario. This is going to be some great technique. It seems like everybody is cheering for the bruiser weight. He's not even on his own continent. And yeah, everybody I know. loves him. He's the fucking best. He's got maybe the ugliest mug. He's such a shit Outside face. of Lars Sullivan. I love him. They mentioned that he's only 24. Just 23 years of age, but continuing ready to go. In fact, he turned 24 just nine days ago. I can't believe I didn't get invited to the birthday party. There's a lot of really amazing technical wrestling up front. A lot of like front face locks and transitions from grappling to bars back to grappling. The two wrestlers go for a move on each other and realize that they're going for a move. And there's the moment of like quiet respect where they're like nodding like, oh, I, I caught you, but you almost caught me. But then out of nowhere. Tip for tat, 50-50. Neither man can complete the headlock takeover. Oh, what a strike by Pete Dunne! Obviously, he has to be the just shittiest heel in the world. Gargano responds with a head scissors takedown and a drop kick, and Dunn rolls out of the ring. Beautiful! Oh. Reversal by Johnny Wrestling, however! He's feeling really cocky, so he goes for a tornado DDT. Dunn reverses it into an X-Plex on the apron. He wanted to do the right thing, but now looking for the tornado DDT up the apron. It's blocked by Dunn. No! X-Plex! Oh! Looks really nasty. There are a lot of really good mid-move reversals in this match that just kind of come out of nowhere and really surprise you. We go to a commercial, and when we come back, Dunn is just sitting in the middle of the ring, breaking Gargano's fingers. Yeah. Which is... Great. That's fun. And it's it's nice to see someone uh, it's nice to see someone target the fingers. Not everybody does it. Nor Suzuki does it. A couple of other people do it and it looks really cool and you can tell. It's like it's like it's that realization. Oh, a lot of this is going to be on camera, so they're going to be able to see me twisting the fingers. That's pretty cool. 
I like. And also, the commentary does a good job of being like, oh, he must realize that if he takes out the fingers, Johnny Gargano can't do the Gargano escape face lock. Gargano needs his fingers to incorporate the Gargano escape grip. Bending the rules, not breaking them. Same thing can be said for his fingers. It doesn't actually come back later, but at least no, they're calling out. No, because he goes out. for it, and then it, that's not even how he gets out of it, is that the fingers are weak. But whatever, yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. Usually somebody does something like this, and all the commentary says is, oh, but you know, that's gonna really yeah, hurt. That's gotta hurt. That's gotta hurt, Michael. Like, oh, he isn't even doing that to win. He just wants to hurt the other person. And that's such a lame fucking thing to say when you can say, like, oh, there might actually be a yeah. reason that he's doing this because he's thinking ahead. Even Gargano's patented slingshot spear can't take Pete out. He keeps rolling out of the ring, which is a really good minor heel move. Uh, he doesn't kick out and go to recuperate. He's like, just always, just roll out of the ring. Just roll out of the ring. He decides to go for the bitter end, but Gargano reverses it into a spike DDT, and Dunn looks like he's going to cry. He does this spike DDT, and then the camera hits him, and he looks like a six-year-old. It's really great. <laughs> we start to see the story of this match, which is Pete Dunn clearly thinks that if he can get the bitter end off, he's going to win, and Gargano just keeps narrowly escaping. Speaking of escaping, Gargano does a tilt-a-whirl head scissors into the Gargano escape. Tilt-a-whirl head scissors in there, right there into the Gargano escape! It, it looks like Dunn might tap out until he spits his mouth guard out and bites Johnny Gargano in the hand. <laughs> the mouth guard came out there! Oh, he's biting! Oh, he bite them? He's biting at his fingers! I like how they they did a really good job of having Gargano only remove one hand from the escape so that you could see the fingers in Dunn's mouth and they zoom in right on it. <laughs> they zoom in right on it and then even though the ref could technically disqualify him for that, the ref just goes, hey, you can't bite him. Uh, Tristan, I'd like to remind you that Street Profits are on this show. No yes. one gets disqualified from NXT. <laughs> Gargano does his thousand-yard stare again. He goes catatonic. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know so if he's going to be able to find it at him to win, but then as he's staring off into nowhere, he notices the mouth guard, picks it up, and spends about 20 minutes... <laughs> realizing that he no longer has a mouth guard he shows it to everyone he's like pointing at the audience he's like look look this is in my hand now this is called playing to the back rows what's he thinking with the mouthpiece. Well, he's noticed the mouth guard is out now what does that mean no longer in his mouth <laughs> get rid of that thing man finish done off this means something so he sees the mouth guard and decides to go for a super kick. Hits Dunn square in the job. Which means it can't protect him. That's to prevent Which means super oh! kick Gargano on Pete Dunn. Yes, sir. Oh, and yet Dunn still manages to escape. Gets a really super near fall. Dunn kicks out. Gargano goes for the slingshot spear. But again, Dunn counters it. This time not into a DDT, but into the bitter end. Oh! oh! Looking for the Nigel is the bitter end. 
Dunn wins because obviously he is made to carry the UK title belt. Are you kidding me? They fitted it to his mouth. <laughs> That's why he didn't need the uh, the mouth guard because he's been strengthening I, up his jaw, biting that I like that belt. too. Like all the jaw injuries and still at the end he goes to put the belt in his mouth. It would have been fun if it fell out. But, <laughs> but yeah, I really like... Pete Dunn's selling is so great because it seems to be so counterintuitive for somebody who builds himself as the bruiser weight, and that makes it amazing that, like, this vicious asshole is gonna get super kicked in the face and then be like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, he's great. His face, I think he knows that he has a face for professional wrestling, and he just, he, he uses all those muscles in his face to make the most shittiest faces I love him. I think he is going to be one of the key players in getting the new school of wrestling closer to the older school. He's not all about spots, and I like spots a lot, but even I will admit, and I watch Ring of Honor matches and every, and I just like, I, I get it. It's a little too spotty now. And he really, with rolling out of the ring, with the facial selling. And Gargano's a good match for him, too, because Gargano's like a really spotty guy. But his face really is so expressive that I feel like he could still sell a match without you like looking at him and being like, oh, he's just waiting to do his next move, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that it's also that, obviously, it's super impressive when somebody can do anything. You have to be in great shape to do that. Sure. But Pete Dunne has three things he does. He does the bitter end. He does the X-Plex suplex, and he does just grappling. He doesn't need to be able to do a moonsault. There's an economy of moves and of style that he has that I think really also really sells him as a bruiser, as somebody that like he doesn't need to know how to do anything, yeah. everything if he's just going to beat you into submission. It just feels kind of refreshing to be watching NXT, which is a great wrestling brand where they take the wrestling seriously, but at the same time, it does suffer from a little bit of the indie indieitis, where it just gets a little, you know, oh, spot, spot, spot. It's great to see him on there and not flipping off the ropes and not doing like crazy shit and saying, "Look, we can still have a good match." And you know, he, you know, I think that's important going forward because that stuff is really what sticks with you. Because I'm not gonna remember that time that. You know, two weeks from now, I'm not going to remember Alistair Black's moonsault off the ropes at at War Games, even though it was awesome. Um, But, like, I'm going to remember Pete Dunne making that shitty face. (laughs) Yeah, all of the UK guys kind of have that, because Tyler Bate also has that. He does some amazing things, but usually the thing that he's doing is very simple striking and grappling and telling a slow, interesting story. Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's... I think it's a regional thing now. They're, they're, they're a little more in tune with some of the old school stuff, maybe. So let's get to the big stuff, because War Games is amazing and almost three hours long, and there's just way too much to talk about. You got it. It's War Games opens with a package about War Games that uses fucking FDR declaring war. That was really that was... weird. They used it like three times in the one package. 
and they did an echo. They did an effect on FDR where they had him repeat war, and then they showed the video of him repeating war over and over again. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Only total war can result in total victory. I declare a state of war. CJ, this is the last straw. There's no turning back now. This means war. Welcome to War Games. What's that? War were declared. Maybe the best kind of overblown, because it's like a literal existential crisis of humankind is being used to sell three tag teams beating each other up in a steel cage if they were more serious about this i would have actually been a little bit offended (laughs) (laughs) but because it was so over the top and hammy i was like okay i could see that and that brings us to match number one this is cassius ono versus lars sullivan ono comes out first Everybody loves Ono. Nobody has soured on him because he never wins. He's doing his job really well as an underdog babyface. Lars comes out and everybody's booing him. He's doing his job as a over-the-top heel. He has a new all-red entrance, which makes him look really good. Moro describes him as a Jack Kirby illustration come to life. You cannot help but marvel at the physical tools of the Leviathan logophile, Lars Sullivan. And then Nigel describes him as... Sometimes you look at Sullivan, you say he's got a tinge of Lenny from of mice and men. That's really unfortunate. (laughs) And his promos really dispute that. But he's actually close to the books also, John Steinbeck, and how intelligent this man is. Yes, no, he's, it's weird. He's, he's very well-spoken. But... He's, he's soft-voiced, well-spoken. I think I've read a lot of opinions on the internet that don't like his promos. I think that they're fantastic because it's so Me surprising. Too. But he can talk. You see, Brock, Brock can't talk. But Brock has a wimpy voice like that, so they have to get Paul on. They don't need that for this guy. So Nigel pontificates a while about Lars Sullivan's skull thickness because he thinks that he will be able to take the elbow from Cassius Ono because his head is just so thick. The thing you've got to remember with Lars Sullivan, look at the size of his cranium. Think how thick that skull is. What are you going to do to get inside it? Meanwhile, however, the crowd is chanting, let's go Ono. I will draw your attention to the three guys at the front row making L's with their hands and chanting Lars, Lars, Lars. <laughs> Which those guys, honestly, that's the worst thing because you want to have people booing this guy. But at the same time, you can tell Lars is making a really big impact. That's like the first time we've ever seen anybody I know, it's him. really true. And honestly, it's like part of the reason why I like him so much is because when I watch him wrestle, I'm like, oh, you fucking bastard. He looks like a fucking bridge troll. He's really good. Goes around eating goats and spitting ropes of spit and yelling incoherently and then has the nerve to go backstage and be like, I don't know why anyone would doubt me. I'm always in control of my emotions and I'm a cerebral wrestler. (laughs) Oh, man. The match starts off with Ono trying his best. He actually gets some really good strikes in, but... Lars is barely phased. After Ono rolls out of the ring, 
Lars does a diving shoulder tackle from the apron, probably the most dynamic we've ever seen him. There's a lot of back and forth. Lars Sullivan always remains on top. He will throw Ono seemingly across the ring, and then Ono will flip over the rope and barely recover. Lars is definitely the guy that has the advantage here. There's a massive pop-up power slam. Oh, the pop-up power slam! the strength of Lars Sullivan! That puts Ono down for two. Lars goes to the top rope. He's going to do his really stupid-looking but really amazing diving headbutt. At the last second... Ono rolls away and his head just slams dead into the mat and Percy. Great point, Nigel. This is Ono's moment right here. It absolutely is and he has to take it. Very astute observation. This is Ono's <laughs> chance. Because <laughs> Lars Sullivan has almost put his head through the mat. Um, I like setting up that Ono actually did have a chance because we're so used to seeing Sullivan doing squashes. And I like the way that they handled it because they actually, they're still building Sullivan through the match. But they are showing him taking a knee when he gets kicked in the face. They're showing him getting winded from getting hit. They're showing a lot of things that you would expect to see from a more even match. And they're so they're basically getting you to buy into this one more than... A Raul Mendoza match, per se, you know. So you're you're buying in a little bit. Ono's the hero. He's getting him down. Oh my god. It only takes the one big hit. And then the headbutt miss was pretty good. Because then you could even sell it like, oh, Ono won, but uh, Lars did all the work for him. You know, he, he knocked himself out. You know, you could, you could say that if you took it that way. So they were actually doing a really good job of getting us to think that Ono really had a chance. There was the moment in this first half that I called last week where Ono hits a discus elbow and Lars Sullivan goes down to his knee, which is the most defeated we've ever seen him. It's both simple and obvious storytelling, but I think for an opening match, you kind of want obvious. You want like... It's a really good match to start off with because you don't have to be completely pumped up for it to know what's going on. There's a gigantic guy and a guy in a basketball jersey. Gigantic guy keeps going down to his knees, but is probably going to win. And I mean, I was razzing on Nigel a lot last week for talking about bygone days of what women were scared and men were men and what all that stupid shit. But this actually is kind of like the most old school match that we're going to get tonight. And I appreciate that we actually get one of those. Lars Sullivan has just smashed his head into the canvas purposefully willingly on his own and suddenly there's a flurry of really stiff strikes from Cassius Ono and the crowd goes crazy everybody knows that this is Ono's chance Lars is clinging to the ropes trying to keep from falling down he never goes down but he's he's really close and all of a sudden Cassius Ono hits him with a spinning kick, and his shoulders go down. He goes for the pin. He gets a two. Oh, the Cyclone kick! And for the first time, Sullivan is down! And the cover in Ono! Lars sits up and gets a kick to his face. 
goes back down. And this repeats probably three times. He keeps sitting up, <laughs> catches Odo, kicks him as hard as he can in the head, and he falls back and then sits back up again. And every single time when he sits back up, he screams more, just incoherently, like, ah! <laughs> Another big boot from Ono. Pedal to the metal, Ono. Wow. Turn it up. He's just getting more and more mad. It's like the <clears throat> That repeats a couple of times. Lars finally goes down, Cassius covers him, but then Lars kicks out so forcefully that Cassius Ono flies off the mat and hits into the ref. Will Ono be the first? No way! Wow! How did Lars Sullivan kick out a one? Look at the face on Lars Sullivan stands up and yells, How dare you! <laughs> They really have to watch it with Lars because after this, from this point on, I'm actually starting to like him a little bit. <laughs> Lars catches Cassius Ono out of a second discus elbow that he's going for, straight into the freak accident, his finisher. What? Oh. And there's the freak accident by Lars Sullivan! It wasn't easy! Pops up, immediately starts doing troll faces. After the match, he says, Cassius Ono, you asked for it, you got it! <laughs> Just putting the button on the fact that he is a complete fucking dick. The promo, the, the little backstage promo that they did that they showed on this week's NXT, I really like when Charlie comes up to him and says, Oh, well, Lars, you look, uh, you, are you alright? And he's like, well, I got kicked in the head like a million times. <laughs> Lars, how do you feel after your victory? Yeah, I feel I feel pretty good considering he just kicked me in the face about fifty times. <laughs> and he's yeah. just like he's starting he's starting off with that weird um out out of ring persona that he has that people seem not to like, but I'm I'm super into it. I just think it's so fitting to have this giant beast of a man and then you talk to him and he like simpers and complains and then talks about how he's just better than everybody and just uses regular you know, language and talks like a regular person. <laughs> it's less that he's angry and dominant and more that he doesn't understand why people can't see how big he is because before they ask him how he's doing, his face is one of just abject confusion. His like eyes are all bugged out and he's like, Ugh. and then his promo with a slightly different inflection, would be the conceited, super tough guy. But he isn't being like, I told them that I was going to run through them. He's like, you know, I told everybody from day one that I was going to be the man to step through. And I dominated unequivocally, emphatically, and categorically. I told them that I was going to run through them. Yeah. Why are they even fighting me? I love that you just hit on like the thing about him that makes him great, which is that he is the entitled heel. He just feels like people, he feels like he's like, yeah, I'll beat anyone, but I don't want to. I don't want to fight anybody because you should just give me wins. You should just put the belt on me because I'm the best. I, why should I fight anybody? I mean, come on. I'll just I'm beat everyone. I'm 400 pounds of muscle. Why don't they see that and just declare me the winner? Yeah. I love that. I think that is so great. 
and it just makes him such a shithead. Especially for a monster heel, because I feel like monster heels are usually portrayed as wanting to destroy people, and his is more like, he only destroys people after they have the nerve to fight him, but if everybody just said, Lars Sullivan is great, he'd be like, good, okay, we're on the same page. You're all my friends now. Great, I'll sit down on this chair, and you guys do whatever you want, and I'll just wear the belt. Next match, match number two, is Velveteen Dream versus Aleister Black. There is a promo package bringing people up to speed, but obviously we didn't need it except for the still amazing shot of Velveteen Dream. Slowly rising behind Aleister Black. I wish that they could just do that every week. Both Velveteen Dream and Aleister Black get huge pops when they show up. People love both of these performers. But Alistair Black is Alistair Black. Velveteen Dream. Let's talk about his fashion for a second. Velveteen Dream. He comes out. He has a rawhide tasseled dicky with a, a beaded motif on the front. His classic three lens sunglasses with the extra lens for his third eye. Sure. He's wearing big goth cross earrings. An amazing... Um, straightened pompadour with cornrows on his side yeah his hairstyle he went all out he's got big white frilled boots but most importantly he's wearing leather chaps over what look to be white tights unzips the chaps and takes them off look at this look at this whoa what the wow look at that Alistair Black on one leg, Velveteen Dream on the other, meeting in the middle. On one leg is an airbrushed photo of Velveteen Dream, and on the other is an airbrushed photo of Alistair Black. With devil horns. And across the crotch, it says, say my name. Yeah, this is, um... He looks amazing. It was very cheap, but I got... It It made me pop so hard. It... It was so good. It's harkening back to like Ravishing Rick Rude. It's really good. I think this was the moment where Houston decided, fuck Alistair Black. Oh yeah, because (laughs) they pop for Alistair Black at the beginning, but the whole match, it's just people yelling say And Velveteen, yeah. Velveteen, Velveteen. Yeah. Velveteen Dream comes out and there's really awkward Velveteen Dream chants because people can't figure out whether to chant Dream over and over again or Velveteen. But people are chanting for Velveteen Dream and he turns to Aleister Black and says, They know my name! He's so good at this. He's so good at just being his character. It must be such a difficult character to do. Because you're five steps away from just being a dumb, dumb idiot at any point in time. And he plays it so good. He's standing on multiple fences at the same time. If he goes one way or another, his character is going to seem homophobic. If he goes one way or another... His character is going to be either an absolute heel or an absolute face. 
Um, if he goes one way or another, I mean, I know that he's technically a heel, but like he's a heel that people love. You know, he's he's standing right in the middle ground of like six different things, and he always nails exactly that spot. I think his acting is like really what takes him to the next level. I, I see him and I definitely see him as a future Hall of Famer. Like, and he's only apparently he's only been doing it for three years, and his he just blows everyone out of the water. Most of this match is moments of character work and really amazing character work and really amazing merging of three different things happening at once that he like sums up in just a really douchebaggy hip gyrate or something. Wow, that hip gyrate told me that. Um, he's both injured and his ego is, uh, tarnished, but he doesn't want to, admit, yeah, yeah, like he just sums up so much stuff with such an economy of motion. It's great. Yeah. He's really good. Black kind of surprises everyone. He surprises everyone by starting not with striking, but with a lot of holds and counters. The dream keeps acting really brash. He keeps breaking out of a hold, but then immediately falling back into it. And it seems like Alistair Black just has his number. At one point, he sends Alistair Black into the ropes and goes for a clothesline. Alistair Black bounces off the ropes into a flying crucifix octopus hold from running. Oh, oh, oh. crucifix here. Oh, modified octopus hold by Alistair Black. This is where that experience comes into play. Really like a human pretzel. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. It's one of the comments that I have about the match is that Dream is consistently outclassed throughout the entire match. Even when he's getting his shit in, it's like, enjoy it for a second. But it's really, he's he does so much work with his face that like he doesn't need to relieve and succeed in any of the wrestling. The first third of this match is Alistair Black on top. After exchanging some blows, Dream is sent out of the ring. Black does his springboard rebound into the lotus position. And this is where it stops being a wrestling match as much as a Vogue off because this really annoys Velveteen Dream. He slinks back inside and starts gyrating in front of Alistair Black. And Alistair Black does the worst thing in the world. He looks away from the Velveteen Dream. Nobody looks away from the Velveteen Dream. Dream points to his tights that say, say my name on them, yells, (laughs) say my name, and the crowd starts chanting, Say his name. Say his name. Crafting this uh, Alistair Black and... (laughs) Take that, Alistair. You looked away, though. But Alistair Black refuses to look at him. I, it's it's really something. I mean, for a match where this guy kind of looked like a loser, I I just thought he did so well. So realizing that Alistair Black isn't going to look at him if he's gyrating, Velveteen Dream instead sits down in lotus position in front of him. And much like Alistair Black not looking at Velveteen Dream infuriated Velveteen Dream, this incenses Alistair Black. 
who does the sex slither at Velveteen Dream, like their first yeah. encounter. He's like, oh, I could do that too. And that blows Velveteen Dream away. The entire crowd is doing the yes chant. They're fucking loving this. I'm loving this. I'm sure you were loving this. I was expecting there might be a kiss at this point. We can't do it yet. No, no spoilers, but I was expecting that too and was slightly disappointed. Maybe the only disappointing thing about this match. I'm not disappointed because where do you go after that? <laughs> so you think that that's more like... Uh, once one of them gets the belt and they're in a title run, that's how that I'd ends. say if Alistair Black, like, loses a leg or something and he'll never be able to wrestle again, he's going to have one last <laughs> match with Velveteen Dream and then they kiss. Velveteen Dream gets pissed off and they start fighting again. And Black goes right back to being super technical. Um, but Dream finally starts getting really vicious. Hits him with some really nasty strikes and then sends Black out of the ring. He goes for a um, tope con hilo, but then at the last second bounces off the ropes. And instead of going into the lotus position, he starts vamping and like doing his Velveteen Dream arm waves. That's what, that's what Black did earlier. Not exactly, Percy. It's it's Velveteen Dream bringing Alistair Black down to his level. And Alistair Black, Mr. Cool, Calm, and Collected, actually fucking losing his shit for Velveteen Dream. He actually gets a rebound super kick for a two count on Alistair Black. So now he has screwed with his head enough that it looks like he might actually pull this off. Um... After pounding on Black a little bit, he turns to the ref, and instead of saying, ask him if he wants to quit, he says, ask him my name. Say I'm uninjured right now. Which really made me wonder, does he know that that isn't a winning condition? Like, if Alistair Black says Velveteen Dream, that... That doesn't mean you won the match. He just wants the ref to be involved. That's the thing. You get that impression after this match where he just, he wasn't going for the win. He was going for the name. Dream hits a neck breaker and a chin lock. And he really looks like he might actually be on top for a minute. He's yelling, what's my name? And the audience is chanting, say it over and over again. He ties... Alistair Black up in the ropes again. Goes for the slap just like before and Black kicks out before he even gets hit and starts striking. Black shows off with his really impressive springboard moonsault into a pin, but again, Velveteen Dream kicks out at two. Velveteen Dream goes for his Death Valley driver and Black escapes, but the second attempt succeeds and this is like a 2.9 count. Black almost falls here. Dream climbs up the turnbuckle with Black in a fireman's carry, which was really impressive. Oh, yeah. He looks like he's going to do the Death Valley driver from the top of the turnbuckle. No, they can't do that. <laughs> 
that would actually kill somebody. Like, if you hit that wrong, that person's neck explodes. Break your own neck, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What if they got caught in the rope on the way down? Are you kidding me? Too dangerous. Dream hits an amazing DDT. Um, it's kind of like a corkscrew DDT. It sends Alistair Black flying. He flings Alistair Black's body and it really looks like he hits him in the top of the head of the mat. It looks great. There are a number of people on the roster right now that are hitting DDTs that actually look like they would destroy you. Which isn't to talk shit about Bobby Roode because I like his simple throwback DDT. Velveteen Dream takes probably about 20 seconds to like slowly get the cover for two. He goes up for his elbow drop. He's both selling a wobbliness of the ropes and a hurtness of his ribs as he also tries to gyrate his pelvis with his hands behind his head but like every so often he has to like clutch his ribs or clutch the rope yeah he's great his face here is really is really what does it it's really like custom built for the kinds of matches he's having absolutely yeah black gets his leg up so as he falls down he collides with Alistair Black's foot. Velveteen Dream falls into the ropes and now he's tied up. Black takes advantage, knees him out of the ropes. They trade a couple of strikes and then out of nowhere, hits the Black Mass. He hits the Black Mass in the middle of Velveteen Dream saying his own name. Velveteen Dream bounces off the ropes and starts saying Velvet. And you have to admire how much he's just like, I am not going to, I will get hit by this kick. I trust that you will not fuck my face up because I am not going to take any precaution. I know that they're going to zoom right in on my face when I say this and take the hit full. And he did, and it was really good. Um, I have to tell you, stuff like that also just really makes me happy about this match. Yeah, this match was really all about the story and all about moments. Some of those moments were amazing wrestling move moments where you know somebody yeah, does a dvt driver does yeah. a moonsault but most of them were just these two very clearly defined characters doing care you know it, it could have without the death valley driver and ddt and moonsault this could have been an improv set you know it could have just been two people dealing with each other this was my match of the night but it was the my match of the night in spite of itself because there were actually two <laughs> there were like two or three things that happened in this match that if it was not Velveteen Dream and I'm not I mean I'm not taking anything away from Alistair Black but he's part of the he was one of those things um but you know yeah if it was not a Velveteen Dream match and it didn't have him with the selling and everything like that honestly I probably would have had like serious problems with this the tangled up in the rope spot by Velveteen Dream looked terrible. It took like 55 seconds for him to get the ropes around. And you know that was just like, oh, you used to, ta you tangled him up in the ropes like before. And you're going to tangle him up again in the ropes in this match. And wouldn't it be funny if you got yourself tangled in the ropes? And he's like, oh yeah, that sounds good. I just imagine him going to the, going to the training ring to practice that and being like, oh shit. 
this is impossible to make it look like I'm accidentally tangling myself up in these ropes. Well, yeah, because when somebody tangles you up, there's at least somebody helping you out. Yeah, they tie you. Yeah, it was it was terrible. It was an awful spot. I wish that they would have taken it out. I understand what it was, and I get oh, it. I disagree. I, just, I disagree. I you have so, to have that moment. I don't know. I don't think that you do. And then I also think. They took. Who gives a shit if it looks well, weird? Well, come on. You know, I the do. ref. I like it. The ref to have that. I, I kind of like that old school. Like I can, I can spend my disbelief. I know it's fake, but I kind of like to not think it's fake sometimes. The ref. The ref walked in front of him enough. At least the camera wasn't dead on him as he like struggled to get into. They had the ropes. very good camera work in this match they zoomed in they did face close-ups when they were supposed to and it really looked like even the camera team had rehearsed so that i will give them credit for also there was like you know it was a little too spot heavy at times i thought the moonsault was a little ridiculous but whatever it, it, it's fine things like that but that's like one that. of his signature yeah. moves people, people need that stuff now because it's modern and that's what we like but at the same time i don't know there's a difference for me when I'm watching that in Ring of Honor where, it, where there are guys that are doing that, but then at the same time, Dalton Castle is like knocking people over by blo- by waving fans at them. Like, that. that's awesome. And I know that that's like super goofy. But in this, I, I have that more serious, you know, expectation. And, and I know Velveteen Dream's not a very serious character and, you know, all that stuff. But like when I see that kind of moonsault thing where you have to see them both run into each other, it kind of makes it takes it out for me a little bit i i completely disagree i understand that and i respect that i just i'm I'm just say to my opinion that's all i just think i think that i think that when with this match with them working at such a high character level uh i don't care if there are some minor flubs those kind of minor flubs and minor botches on the main roster annoy me a lot more because their character work can be so muddied and it's not because the wrestlers can't do character work. It's because they're like not put in a situation where they can trust that they'll be able to get their character work over. And so because the character work is muddy, I'm like, well, I'd at least like to see some really crisp wrestling. And then when the wrestling isn't crisp, I'm like, well, what the fuck are you giving me here? Most of it is excellent. And, you know, there's like half of the match where they aren't wrestling and they're just doing goofy faces at each other and they pull it off so well that when he tied himself in the ropes, I was like, eh, it's cartoon logic. It. Who gives I get a shit? it. I get it. I understand. It just for me, that was like one of those things where I was just like, oh, no. And then the other thing was a. Uh, it's a little more long term than that. It's just Aleister Black in general, where I don't know if I should root for him or boo him. Because his gimmick is, I walk the line between good and evil, which is fun, you know, for like stuff. But then like, I don't know, man, in a wrestling match, half of the battle is figuring out who you're supposed to boo and who you're supposed to cheer for. And we all cheered for Velveteen Dream, even though Velveteen Dream is like a a heel because Aleister Black is giving us, uh, you know, he's giving us this like middle ground thing that's not really i don't think that velveteen dream is a complete heel i think he's also kind of a tweener in this match he He, was the face i would say for sure 
he's a douchebag, but we understand what he's up against. And I think that that's the problem with Alistair Black. Velveteen Dream is walking the line between a clear-cut heel and a clear-cut face, but he can walk that yeah. line because he's also the underdog. You know, everybody else, he's, right. he's trying that's to prove true. himself. Alistair Black is not a face and not a heel, but also he's in a position where everybody loves him because he's an amazing wrestler, and they've written his character where he has just shown up in NXT and Velveteen Dream wants his respect. That's not putting him on a lower rung where it doesn't matter if he's a heel or a face, he's struggling to overcome. He has shown up and is already at the top of the heap. So you go like... He's the top dog. He's undefeated. Yeah, once you become the top dog, although that's not true because Asuka was also undefeated and also never really clearly a heel or a face and could be anything at any time. But Asuka was a baby face through and through. They loved her. They loved her. At a certain point, the crowd will make you what you are. That time when she did the run-in on uh, Nikki and Peyton and Billy and Amber Moon and beat them all up and then, like, danced in the middle of the ring and ran circles and then laughed and ran away. Like, there were times when she was doing heelish shit. But again, I think that one of the other things is that we talked about this with Kyrie Sane. And it's weird that I'm going to say this considering that he's all like goth black metal, but there was an amount of mystery to Asuka that I don't get from Aleister Black, even though he's supposed to be shrouded in mystery because he's just a weird metalhead to me. So I'm like, yeah, make up your mind. When he never spoke, it was one thing, but then when he opened his mouth and it sounded like he had nothing to say, (laughs) I was like, oh shit. I don't know what I could do with this guy. Because, honestly, he is probably one of the most talented guys on the roster. But the problem is that, like, they're they're trying to make him... I don't know if it's they or if it's him. He's walking this line. And the thing is, if you're going to walk the line, the silent treatment was really the way to go. Because that actually made you seem more interesting. I hope that they finally decide if he's supposed to be a heel or a face. I have a t-shirt of his now that says... He's a fantastic wrestler. I don't oh, blame, yeah. blame you. Um, I got it at Brooklyn Takeover 3, and it says on it, no man is ever truly good, no man is ever truly evil. It would be funny if they decided and came out with a shirt that either said, one man is truly good or one man is truly evil. Like <laughs> That would be fun. I, and I feel like they could really turn him with his current attitude because he could just sneer at everybody and look down on them and it would just work i also think that he could be a really easy anti-establishment baby face if he was on the main roster he could be like a sting or something you know like he could say he could mete out justice he could be like you you did the wrong thing or whatever jinder mahal you did steroids, and I'm going to kick your jaw. That only works on the main roster because the establishment on the main roster are, are all dickheads. You're not going to want to get into a fight with William Regal. He's your granddad. He's a nice guy. No, he's the sweetest guy in the world. Are you kidding me? But speaking of him staying silent, 
The match is over. He doesn't stay silent. He's sitting next to a broken Velveteen Dream in the middle of the ring. The crowd is chanting, Say his name! Say his name! And seemingly from his crotch, he pulls a microphone. That's why they had that extended replay segment. (laughs) Enjoy infamy. Velveteen Dream. I also love how Velveteen Dream does not sell his happiness over his injuries. He still looks like he's injured and defeated, but he does get a little tiny smile every once in a while. So he's really Nigel declares that that got me annoyed. (laughs) No, because that's the story of what just happened. Because Aleister Black is still undefeated. I understand it. And Velveteen Dream... But you know what this... Got the respect that he wanted from Aleister Black. Sure, but this makes me a little nervous that that means that the feud is over without Velveteen Dream actually looking to win. I think he got the name first, so now he should go keep going after Black and just try to win. And I think they need to keep this going. Or they kind of become not a tag team. I wouldn't want to see them in a tag team. You know, Velveteen Dream being slightly more heelish and Aleister Black being slightly more face-ish, but both of them being somewhere in the middle, could kind of make for an interesting friendship where, like, no, we're the outsiders. People don't like us, except for the fans who fucking love us, so. Yeah, except for everyone in the audience. (laughs) Unnamed people don't like us. The man, in capitals, the man. The man doesn't like us. Sure. Society. (laughs) Society doesn't like us. Except for everyone watching. Now we're into match number three. It's the fatal four-way between Nikki Cross, Ember Moon, Peyton Royce, and Kyrie Sane for the Women's Championship. We talked last week about people having a kind of unsure reaction to Kyrie Sane and yeah at least in the front rows it seems like people have figured out the reaction to have which is as she walks by a bunch of people just salute her which is like that is pretty good that's yeah. great that's exactly what she should be looking for I don't want you to cheer I want you to treat me like your captain this is the moment that I knew Billy Kay was not going to be interfering tonight because she Because she was wearing big, giant, tall wedges. Yeah, she looks way too glamorous to be fighting tonight. She's wearing a... Well, it's not just that. She can't run in with those fucking shoes. There's no way. But also, she's like wearing a black spaghetti strap jumpsuit. I took this a different way. I got a little more worried, and I think they might break them up now. Oh, no. I think that they love each other. And, And I'm not one of these people that sees a female friendship and assumes that it has to be a lesbian thing. But like there is a deep mutual respect between the two of them. Although that's exactly what you would have said about DIY. So (laughs) yeah, no, exactly. That's, that's what I'm talking about because also because Peyton was a little surprised that Billy wasn't going to walk her down to the ring. And I'm like, I'm wondering if she's going to blame her for losing 
be like, if you were there, I wouldn't have lost. Or if whatever. you had bothered to put on your ring gear. Yeah, not not even that. If you were just sitting there staring at me in the front row or something, you know? Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that they're going to pull. And if they do, I think it's going to be a misplay. I think it's a mistake. I don't think it's a good I idea. I don't think it's a good idea either. I, I love these two But it got together. me a little worried. Yeah. Worried. Ember gets her gigantic entrance. Everybody else has gotten a a regular entrance music and light show. Ember gets the gigantic entrance uh, music and lights and the whole place dims and there's red lights and blue lights and... And blue contacts. Yes, really crazy looking blue contacts. And She's not a werewolf anymore, guys. No. And Percy says... She is ready to hold the belt. And that's when I said, oh, she's going to win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. This is her time. Believe it. She is ready. They're finally giving her the big entrance that she always was overshadowed by Asuka's entrance. You know, she would have this entrance and then Asuka would come out. And that's such a crazy over the top entrance that like you'd go. Oh, we know who's on top and who's on bottom. This time, there's no doubting that as much as you love Nikki and Peyton and Kyrie saying, they have a regular NXT episode entrance and Ember Moon has a giant red moon that, you know, rises over her and she's flipping a stupid cape around and she flips it off her head and she's got leather shoulder pads and she's gonna win <laughs> it's a kind of classic start to a fatal four-way for a multi-person match everybody's kind of taking turns with each other and one-on-ones but in the first half of the match they actually do a really good job of making peyton royce look a lot more physically intimidating than they used to giving people multiple European uppercuts and elbows and knee strikes and actually looks like a people are jumping to the outside and hitting rolling neck snaps and Peyton Royce who started pretty aggressive now suddenly wants nothing to do with it she's starting to think better of it and run around the ring whenever Ember shows up yeah she realizes that there are two there are like three other people here Oh, they can fight. Everyone is fighting on the ramp, and Ember does a pop-up power slam to Nikki because obviously you need to take Nikki out of the match somehow if anybody else is going to get any offense in. She did a last woman standing match with Asuka, so really Ember should be considering her probably her biggest competition right now. Ember went the distance with Asuka multiple times, but... Asuka never put Ember through tables or through a ladder. Peyton gets Kyrie in a submission on the ropes. Um, obviously, because it's no disqualifications, she can hold it forever. Nigel says, But look how prone Royce is now to attack. If someone comes in now, there's no way she can protect herself. If Sand Brunner on kill Nigel! And fucking sure enough, Ember runs up and kicks her full force in the chest. Okay, but this is my thing. 
Why interfere when there's this huge submission going that could just go forever? Just just hit someone else. Just do something else. Just do whatever. And you take someone out. Someone loses. No. Because it isn't elimination. It's fatal four-way. Well, I mean they lose as in they can no longer fight because they've been completely disabled because they've been put in a submission hold for like 12 minutes. But what if Kyrie taps? Then Peyton wins. Oh, I didn't realize that. But obviously, these multi-person matches are very confusing. I mean, for fuck's sake, on the main roster, the commentary gets it wrong all the time where they like... They'll start calling an elimination match like it's a fatal match. Ember dodges a spear from Kyrie Sane that ends up connecting with Peyton Royce, who had just stood up. Everybody is accidentally beating up on Peyton Royce more than they would even if they specifically were trying to kill her. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. And that's kind of what I was expecting to happen from Peyton without seeing all this good stuff from the beginning. Moon prevents a Kyrie elbow, and I will just say that I refuse to call it the insane elbow. I hate that fucking name. Walk the plank, or I don't know. We'll we'll come up with something better. We'll come up with something. She drops anchor, dropping anchor. That's that's perfect. Oh, that's really there. Good. You go. Jesus Christ. We'll license that name to you, WWE. <laughs> Get in contact with us. Drop anchor. Yeah, watch. They probably still have like seven hundred people with that shit from like fifty years ago. We'll get a we'll get a we'll get a lawsuit in the mail. <laughs> so, Moon prevents um, Kyrie's uh, elbow drop and goes up on the ropes. She's attempting a superplex, but Royce gets them both with a really great looking Tower of Doom. After her early aggression, she has now become the kind of the opportunist fighter that she always is. Cross gets all three with a surprise flying cross body because everybody always forgets about fucking Nikki Cross in these situations. You hit her with one pop-up power slam on the apron and everybody goes, ah, Nikki Cross can't come back from that. She's out of this match. And then all of a sudden she's going to hit you with a flying cross body. Cross counters a springboard something that Moon does into a draping neckbreaker, and Moon rolls out. And as Moon rolls out, Peyton, again, opportunist, runs in and from behind, surprise, bridging fisherman suplex. And this is broken up at the last second by Kyrie saying and half of the audience is stunned and the other half thinks maybe that was a three count because there's a little bit of murmuring up to this point I'm thinking the match is going pretty good up to this point the match is going all right um it's a four-way I have problems with four ways anyway just because I don't like when people wait around four ways is a lot of people waiting around it's necessary it's fine. I just don't like that kind of match. But it gets muddy. I don't like when they. I don't like when they. Yeah, I don't like when the camera pans over and you accidentally see like the top of someone's head who's just waiting outside the ring. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. It just. It, it. It's not great. Um, this part from here on is when I start getting a little more critical of it because at this point, Kyrie comes in, breaks it up. 
but it seems like it was a three count to me. I'm like, okay, I can see it's not the way the match was supposed to end. And they're not going to be flexible with it and just be like, okay, that's it. <laughs> so instead, we got to keep going. From here, keep in mind, if you're listening at home, that I'm starting to be like, okay. And now we're getting into like big spot territory where like there's like a lot of two-man moves. We already had one with Peyton doing the Tower of Doom, which I thought was kind of fun. Even though it looks a little weird for like a 65-pound person to be like <laughs> power slamming. Two people <laughs> off the top rope. It's a little... Eh. But you know what? It's possible. I, I definitely don't see it as being something that I should be like, huh? No. Um, but we're getting two-man moves. And, and for this, two-man targets. And for this, it starts getting a little too coordinated for my taste. Again, I'm, I don't want to sound like a grizzled old-school guy, considering that I don't even have that going for me because I'm not a grizzled old-school guy. But sometimes when I see people waiting around to get hit by stuff, it kind of gets me annoyed. <laughs> Kyrie coming in late, I think, is probably just due to us. She hasn't been lo around long enough for the audience to give her credit. I think that people would give somebody like Asuka or Charlotte Flair or um, AJ Styles, people who have a really strong pedigree, if there was a third tap, but then the ref was like, oh no, actually that was a two, I think we would probably go like, oh, he just, they just beat it. They just beat it. Kyrie's only been around in NXT for a couple months. And so she does that. And like I said, half of the crowd seems to want to give her credit and be like, oh yeah, she just got it. And the other half are like, nah, that's bullshit. Fuck you. Multi-person matches are not my favorite. Um, it's the most obvious. We talked about this with the women's 19 woman battle royale for contendership. That was super muddy. But the second you bring in more than two people, it's going to get muddy. This was, for the most part, pretty well told. But, you know, yeah. the, fact, the fact that Nikki sold the pop-up power slam that long, like, they have to get rid of people. And if you have to get yeah. rid of people from a match, why are they in the match? Just it's give me... such a... It's such a troublesome thing when somebody's taken a move before and been fine, and then they take a move in a four-way, and then they're out for, like, five minutes. Yeah. But I think that... I, I, I think that... Hopefully, if we want to look at this with a slight bit of silver lining... Because when the main roster does fatal four ways with the women, it feels like they're just trying to get as many women on TV without devoting good matches to them. But we've seen NXT devote time and effort to women's matches. So I'm willing to give them a little bit more credit on that front. I think that it's more that the silver lining is these four competitors, if one of them wasn't involved in this match, you would go, why aren't they involved in the match? So they were like, okay, let's put these four women up there and they'll have a kind of muddy match. But it's like, 
maybe the least muddy of a four-way that you can have. You know, it's it's fairly well told. Kyrie saying Alabama slams Royce onto Nikki and goes up for her um, elbow drop. She salutes. She jumps. The elbow connects this time. And Moon jumps back into the ring and breaks up the pin. And all of a sudden, everybody is chanting for Moon. Moon goes for the eclipse on Nikki. Um, I think that at this point, there were actually some minor boos, probably because people didn't want Nikki to just eat an eclipse and then lose. They yeah. like Everybody could feel what was about to happen. The if second they were like, half of the match... The crossbody happens, and then Nikki just eats every move. <laughs> it's it's kind of shitty to see the one the the other really serious contender just taking every move from everyone and then eating the pin. <laughs> but like, if you don't hit Nikki Cross with a bus, it doesn't seem like she should be down. You know. Luckily, Peyton Royce prevents it, and. Goes for Nikki. She picks her up. She's going to try to do the fisherman suplex again. But Nikki has gone almost completely limp. So she's having some real difficulty with it. Ember really quickly scrambles back on top of the turnbuckle. And hits an eclipse on both of them. (laughs) Uh, Peyton Royce bounces like she's the rock taking a stunner. Throws herself a, probably yeah. 15 feet away. Yeah, that's definitely it. It's either that or Shawn Michaels versus Hogan. Yeah. It's one um, of those. And Ember pins Nikki for three. She is the new women's champion. Everyone is freaking out. Nigel says that it's been a long road, but she deserves this. Um, and so you know that it's really a moment when the heel commentator is like, yeah, maybe the face gets away in every once in a while. Yeah. Um, Regal walks out to present the belt, but Asuka, from the front row, runs in, slides into the ring, and demands, no, she's going to present the belt. She presents the belt to Ember Moon. Ember Moon accepts it. They hug. Ember Moon shows off the belt. Asuka raises her hand in victory. I have to admit, I almost started crying. I felt really good about that. I thought it was nice. I thought it was good to have Asuka give it to her. I thought it was nice to show that they're like buddies now. And like, uh, you know, we had our rivalry. But you know what? I really respect you. You're one of the only ones who could keep up and blah, blah, blah. And it felt really good. And you, you got to see all of that. And you saw how excited Asuka was for Ember. Like she was just, uh, she she kept like running over. She was like, when am I going to lift her hand? When am I going to lift her hand? And it was really good. And it's part of the reason why I think people love Asuka is just seeing how into it she is just as a person. And so like, it was great to see that happen. And honestly, Ember, Ember is like really a real white meat baby face. She is super baby face. So it's, it's. It's nice to see her win 
on her terms, like being like, I beat people and I did it this way and I'm, I'm good. And, and look, I got respect and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it's good. I liked, I like seeing Ember with the belt. I don't, I, I don't think that it was a mistake to put it on her. I think it was good. Someday in the future, Ember is going to come up to the main roster. Hopefully, whoever's handling the main roster at the time has a better fucking handle on what the fuck they're doing. But Ember comes up to the main roster and they fucking have a, you know, WrestleMania match where Ember finally gets the win that she never got and it's going to be like the biggest moment in the world. Yeah, that'll be pretty cool. I, I, I could see that happening too. I'm just nervous that they might give her the Bailey treatment because she's that much of a baby face. Yeah, but she's like a werewolf baby face. So That's hopefully true. hopefully they can't go. The that red hard. contacts could still go in. Yeah. She she's got those red contacts in the in the drawer next to her bed. She's ready. She could go she could put them in at any time. Holding back tears. Ember Moon is the new women's champion, and of course that means it's time for the commentary team to sell toys. Um Of course. What the fuck was this? We have to have Moro playing with it? <laughs> they yeah, they actually walk you could, through. You can do all the matches. You can just look at this, look at the cage cup stuff. What ugh, Jesus Christ. Um Alright. <laughs> Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe are in the audience. Kevin Owens is Kevin repping. Owens is wearing the Undisputed Era shirt. Yeah! He's repping Undisputed Era. Match number four. We got Andrade Cien Almas versus Drew McIntyre. Andrade Cien Almas with Zelina Vega. And it's for the men's championship belt. Ellie Dolo comes out looking great. They both put up the fist. I like that. I like that she oh, now yeah. does the fist with him. That's a great touch. And there were too many people in the audience doing the fist that you could only get on one guy. You saw a lot of them. <laughs> They're in the ring and the bagpipes hit and they both look fucking pissed. <laughs> They're so fucking annoyed just at his entrance music. Considering the uh, sexist attitude of his promos... Um, I've, I've liked his promo work recently more. He's been less boring, but I feel like as he becomes more interesting, he also becomes more clearly a heel because he has annoying bagpipe music and he's a big dumb asshole who like says sexist shit and pushes around Andrade Cien Almas, who's amazing. Andrade is the face that cheats. Yeah. <laughs> He's the new day. <laughs> yeah. Or he's a uh, fucking Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> they just give every Hispanic person that gimmick. He's the good guy oh that also God. cheats. You're probably right. <laughs> so Cien is in the middle of the ring and he's like sticking his tongue out like a lizard at uh, Drew McIntyre, which I really liked. And also... Mauro Ronaldo is babbling about Super Mario. <laughs> Nigel McIntyre, more king than Super Mario Odyssey. What an Odyssey has been for the great spot. Oh my god. Moro, would you stop fucking putting your own self over? Jesus Christ. 
What's the I matter with that, you? I think that Morrow's problem is he's such a good commentator that he can sometimes not see when he's gone too far. Like that's way too far. I guess he was he, maybe he was trying to maybe he's trying to get back at them for making making him review the toy. <laughs> We've said this before, but there's that incredibly mixed reaction to both of them, which isn't to say it's a confused reaction, but half of the audience is watching a completely different match than the other half. Um, and I think that it might be because it's in Houston. There are obviously a lot of uh, Hispanic, Mexican, Spanish-speaking people in the audience, and they're all clearly firmly in the Andrade Cien Almas, cheer him, boo Drew, and everybody else is like, no, Drew is the champion, and Andrade Cien Almas cheats, so we hate him. I don't even think they hate him, though. I mean, he's just so charismatic. Holy shit. I can't hate him, even though he's cheating. I can't. And Selena Vega, you can't hate her. She's the best part of this match. Before the match even starts, almost out of nowhere, slaps Drew McIntyre and then runs into the corner. Almost does the smart thing and hides in the corner as Zelina Vega pumps him up. She's just outside and she's like, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. This guy's going down. You've got it. You've got it. And the bell rings and we're off. Almost has already done his job because Drew is completely incensed and not thinking about how to wrestle well. He just is trying his hardest to almost as tranquilo. He's calm, baby. He nothing's getting to him. He is a completely different performer than he was eight months ago. He keeps going for a side headlock and attacking Drew's left knee, but Drew just kind of has him beat in terms of power. He keeps powering out. See, I knew they weren't going to play on the injury from last week. I knew it. I knew they weren't going to do shit with that. Well, they they did a couple of things with the with the left leg, but it was a non-starter. Yeah, I knew they weren't going to do anything because the commentary was talking about it, but Drew was selling his head. Drew recovers from a jawbreaker and sends almost into the ropes. Almost hits the tranquilo, which we haven't seen in ages. He he hits it clean and stays in yeah, there. He does the whole thing. He even does the fist. The reason you stopped doing that is because Zelina Vega told you it's stupid because people can kick you. Because Drew kicks him in the stomach uh, and he flies out of the ring. Yeah, but I'm interesting. Zelina is not super pissed at him about it. No, she's, she's not. not down. She, she she's like, no, it's cool. McIntyre jumps out of the ring. He rolls almost back in. And like always, uh, the ref has to follow almost all the way to the other rope to make sure that he's truly back in the ring. And he might not be. <laughs> yeah. And um, with the ref's back turned, Vega goes for the running head scissors off of the apron, but Drew catches her and picks her up and sets her down on the apron. He doesn't consider her a threat, and he should. She is a threat, but she just did a head scissors to him, and he's going to like gingerly set her down and patronizingly be like, oh, don't do that again. Fuck you, Yeah. Drew. At the same time, I could see why he did that, because he probably looked at her and he was like, 
you probably just don't realize that I'm three feet taller than Roderick Strong and I weigh like a hundred pounds more. That's probably what it is. <laughs> That'll work on Roderick Strong because Roderick Strong is two feet tall. He's starting to come off like a little bit of a dick and they haven't actually done a full heel turn yet. And if he had power bombed her onto the ring apron, he would instantly be a heel. No matter what she had done to him. Oh, yeah, because again, let me just bring up, she's the best part of this goddamn match. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so I had a theory, actually, that the Tranquilo might have been setting up for this interference. And that's why Zelina didn't get mad at him. That's really interesting, yeah, because usually when he hits the Tranquilo, she's fucking furious at him. Yeah, she runs over with him. What are you doing? You're so stupid! <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, maybe that is. I mean, like, they've, they've been so good with the character work and the storytelling that that could totally make sense. So after he puts down Vega back on the ring apron, Nigel says, if he's not worried about Vega, he'll be caught. And I was like, oh, man, I just can't wait for that to happen. <laughs> That's got to happen. It's got to happen. They're setting it up. It's got to happen. Well, it's uh, Chekhov's Selena Vega. (laughs) Yeah. If you see a Selena Vega on the mantelpiece, (laughs) she's probably going to do a running head scissors off of it. Drew goes for a spear into the corner and almost evades, and Drew puts his shoulder into the post. I mentioned that because that's going to come up later. His arm is maybe the biggest story element of this match besides Zelina Vega. It's Zelina Vega and Drew's shitty arm. Right after he puts his shoulder into the post, um, almost gets Drew in his hanging arm breaker on the ropes. And this might be when something tears in his arm because... The audio, I was watching it after the fact. I wasn't watching it live. Mm. The audio goes silent because somebody clearly did a curse way too loud. I think he gets legitimately hurt because it's either that or he starts like uh, channeling Togi Makabe and just yelling motherfucker all the time. I mean, I, you know, he could just be watching a bunch of NJPW right now and realizing that, you know. Sometimes people swear all the time. No, it's not that. He got hurt, I'm pretty sure. So Almas kicks out of the Celtic Cross, and Drew is starting to sell his arm. He evades the running double knee from Almas, but Almas hits the Tornado Inverted DDT. This is such a great move that he does. Uh, And it's like a real, like, fucking luchador fuck move you know it just looks amazing we have coming up two spots that kind of summarize the story of the match first almost tries for a hurricane rana from electric chair position and drew counters that into an alabama slam for two drew then goes to the top rope but almost prevents 
with a springboard drop kick and then almost goes for a hurricane rana uh to drew on the outside and it looks like drew will counter into a power bomb but almost gets him into the head scissors on the ring post and then climbs to the top of the turnbuckle and does an incredible moonsault from the top of the turnbuckle to the outside. The first one is Almas is technically proficient, but Drew can power out of it. And the second is Almas is technically proficient and Drew can power out of it, but also Almas has enough power to reverse his powering and then also follows up with something like a really incredible moonsault. You know, it, it's this like slow build of a story where every time one person figures out how to counter something, the other person has, the other person can figure out how to counter that. Almost is finally fed up. He runs out of the ring and goes and gets the championship belt. And you're thinking, is he going to disqualify himself? Is he going to use the belt? The ref jumps out of the ring, starts admonishing him, saying, put the belt back, put the belt back. And then we get a nice, big, wide, medium shot the entire ring. Drew is kind of slowly getting up inside the ring. And Zelina Vega runs in one side head scissors to the mat boom you can really hear it boom his head hits the mat runs out the other side and all of a sudden uh, almost doesn't want the belt anymore throws the belt back runs back inside um, the only thing that was missing was a high five yeah really right <laughs> <laughs> or like a big thumbs yeah, up yeah a big shit-eating thumbs up like a mentos uh, thumbs up Zelina Vega does the thumbs up to him and he like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. The fresh maker. The Si Se Puede chants come back. So everybody is like, come on, Amos. One more, one more. You can do it. Drew gets up. He hits him with the Claymore and drops Almas. But behind the ref's back, Vega gets his foot on the rope. Yeah, that was fun too. Drew shoots Zelina Vega such a dirty look. <laughs> I like that he doesn't argue with the ref. He isn't like talking to the ref and being like, no, she put his foot on the rope. No, he's just, he's like, just like, okay, asshole. Fucking. And by the way, I do want to take this time to just say that I really appreciate the prime rivalry that was going on here, which is the, the rivalry of Drew McIntyre and Selena Vega. That is fantastic. So Drew goes for a final claymaker to the corner and almost dodges, and Drew hits his balls on the ropes, and the audio goes silent again. <laughs> As he's complaining about his balls, almost sets him up. He does a draping hammerlock DDT, and almost wins. Everybody's fucking flipping out. I was so happy. I've I've been a huge fan of Andrade Almas. Since over a year ago when everybody was saying that there was nothing to it. Since his dumb promos where it was like him and two girls like standing around with the close-up camera angle to hide the fact that they're in someone's apartment. 
the trilby hat with the big feather in it yeah. and i was like listen be that as it may i don't think you guys are seeing what he's doing in the ring drew is being a big baby he's in the middle of the ring and he's like oh i, I lost oh. he's got a really whiny ass face on but i gotta point out the reason that almost won wasn't because of the cheating it was because Drew hit himself in the balls. Yeah, the cheating helped, but it was actually almost fucking outplayed you and dodged your stupid slow-ass kick and you rammed your balls into the turnbuckle. <laughs> I'd be excited to see a Drew heel turn. I definitely would, because, like I said, I now find him interesting, but I still fucking hate him. Almost stands on the announce table. He's showing off. And in the background, Vega yells, I told you. And I don't know whether she's talking to us or him. It's great. It's great. She's been telling everybody. She's been telling Almas that he can win. She's been telling the audience that he can win. And she's been right this whole fucking time. Where has she lied to us? Never. She's the best. And now we come to the War Games match. Yes. Um, I dare you to do a play-by-play of this. <laughs> sadly, not Gold Dust, but Dustin Rhodes is in the audience. That makeup um, might run after two hours. It then cuts to a screen displaying all of the rules as they <laughs> tell you the rules of war games. And it's like a prescription drug commercial with the fast talking and the oh my God. small text at the end. I don't know whether it's a prescription drug commercial or a payday loan commercial, but it definitely has that like 0.1% APR only uh, for the first two months, then 1,008% APR for every week after that. It's just incomprehensible babbling. No, but it's, it's if a lot two of people are in the ring, then another four people will, will be added. And then the time limit changes for some reason. It's five minutes and then three minutes and then three minutes. And then and it's like, if you leave the cage, you disqualify your team. If you leave the cage, you disqualify your team. Let me say it another time. And the commentators all say it at least once. If you leave the cage, you disqualify your team. Okay, we know you're setting something up now. Thanks. <laughs> they took the roof off. Guess what? The final big spot of the night includes a gigantic move from the top of the cage. You're probably one of the five billion motherfuckers who wrote this on the internet, and yes, I agree with you. Why the fuck didn't Roderick Strong just push him off the fucking cage? He would have knocked out a whole team. I know, I get it. It's a fun spot, and we love fun spots. But there's a certain level... Oh my god, this was my big thing, and I was gonna wait until it happened, but I can't even stop myself. This is insane. Alec, it's called a grudge match. He doesn't want to disqualify Undisputed Era. He wants to hurt Undisputed Era. That is so much bullshit. It doesn't hurt Adam Cole to get pushed <laughs> off the fucking cage. So Eric Young starts off for Sanity. That means that Dane and Wolf are in a shark cage at the top of the ramp. Undisputed Era and Authors of Pain come out, and both teams choose to fuck with Dane and Wolf. It was in pretty the cage. fun. They like rattle a stake up and down the cage and like This is when I knew from Kyle O'Reilly coming out, this is what I knew he was going to be the breakout star of Undisputed Era for this match. Because he was fantastic. 
him fucking with usually it's Bobby Fish who has like the greatest facial expressions. Like uh, Kyle O'Reilly has the greatest facial expressions because they're a cartoon. But I mean, usually it's Bobby Fish who like fucks with people the most with his face. But like Kyle O'Reilly came out and he was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh." It was pretty good. And like he would get really close to the to the cage and alexander wolf would reach for him and he would like jump back and be like oh you can't get me it was really fun roderick strong coming out in his fucking ninja turtles helmet and his fucking like dumb dumb that what the hell was that i mean i get it it's funny he's buying into the whole thing yeah roderick strong is also dressed in paramilitary gear (laughs) how much longer are you gonna keep up the idea that roderick strong is a baby face because He's now joined a paramilitary organization that believes that they're going to bring about apocalypse. So maybe he isn't a good guy anymore. I don't know. He's still got a family. He needs to cut at least six more family promos to save himself from being tied with like a neo-Nazi Eastern European death squad. So... The match starts off, it's going to be Eric Young, Adam Cole, and Roderick Strong, which means that they actually fit they, two authors of pain. We never look at their cage. We don't cage. look at their cage for more than five minutes, for more than like five seconds. We don't know how big that cage is. That's insane. Cole attempts to climb over the cage. And this is the first instance of somebody trying to remind him desperately of the rules because Nigel says uh, that... There's no way he would run because he would be disqualified anyway. <laughs> to which case, both Moro and Percy are like, really, you, d- you don't think that he's just an advantageous douchebag who totally would run right now if it meant that he wouldn't get his ass kicked. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that would have, obviously they shouldn't have done this. It's a good thing they didn't do it. But it would have been really funny if in the first two minutes he was just like, you know what? I disqualify my team. I'm out of here. Fuck you. Come on, guys. Let's go. That would be fun. I would have liked that. And I know that that's when they keep saying it and they keep bringing it up. I know that they're trying to tease it out of you to be like, oh, he's going to do that, which means he's definitely not going to do that. So if they would just shut up about the rules, you'd maybe think it instead of having to be told so that you know instantly it's not going to happen. The first team to enter are Fish and O'Reilly. So... Undisputed Era is the first full team in, and Strong is instantly back oh, down. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nigel says, my heart truly goes out to Strong, but he deserves this. Undisputed Era would have been unstoppable, but he only thinks about himself. Which is, like, a great heel commentator mentality. Nigel? Like really jumped up like two two points in my book for that honestly he he's all of a sudden i think it's just like this month or like two months he's just become like the best of the three of them because he's just such a he knows what to say to be really effective without like being like oh over the top you know he just says something like that that sounds like Oh, fuck you, Nigel. And then you're like, oh, wow. Okay, I get you. <laughs> yeah, he he really uh, gets over the storyline of whatever match he's yeah. commentating on and, recently. And he's, and he's talking about the wrestlers, too, which I like. He's, he's 
He puts over Strong because he's like, I like Strong. I think he's really good. He puts over Undisputed Era because he's like, they would have been unstoppable with him. And then he he acts like an asshole. He he worked out really good. It, it, that was a really good line from him. He did a good job. Yeah. And the next team comes in. It's Authors of Pain. And Fish and O'Reilly try in vain to keep the cage door closed. That was fun. They're like that was to really keep... fun. They go from being cocky dominating wrestlers to like Laurel and fucking Hardy where they're like, oh, we got to keep out the wolf, My man. impression was, hey, I know we just got here, but we used to watch NXT and you guys are the worst. <laughs> Finally, authors of pain force their way in and start literally throwing people around. They throw around everybody else. And then they get Roderick Strong and use him as a projectile. They throw him over the ring ropes that separate the two rings. And he takes out everybody yeah, it else. That was fun. I really that was a lot that. of fun. Yeah. And I like the idea that Roderick Strong... I don't like... I don't think that it's like, oh, they don't care about Roderick Strong. I thought it was... My impression was Roderick Strong was like, yeah, guys, let's do this. Throw me at him. <laughs> With Authors of Pain and Roderick Strong on top. The final team is released, and obviously there's only one team left. It's Sanity. Um, Dane slowly kind of lumbers to the ring. Alexander Wolf is super excited. He runs into the ring, jumps in. Everybody is starting to close in on him because they're like, well, but there are, there are six of us and there's one of you. What does he do? He takes out of his jacket a riot baton and... Just goes to work with this thing. It was really fun. That was a lot of fun, yeah. But it brought to my attention, I said, so how come Adam Cole doesn't reach into his shorts and pull out two pairs of brass knuckles? Like, what the fuck? If these things are allowed, Undisputed Era should be the guys that are pulling out weapons. But he's got those tights. I feel like if he reaches in there, you get the added, like, you get that added gross, like, sex thing going on. Those tights leave nothing to the imagination. There is nothing hidden in those tights. That is true. You're right about that. Dane hasn't entered yet. He's outside and he's just slowly feeding in steel chairs, trash cans, more chairs, kendo sticks. The whole crowd starts chanting, we want tables and... Dane really milks the moment by stopping and looking around at them and then kind of half shrugging and going back under and taking out two tables. This is the moment where the funniest thing all night happens. O'Reilly runs at Wolf with a steel chair on his head. And as he swings it down, Wolf dodges and O'Reilly hits one of the ring ropes and the chair bounces back into his face, and he does a full somersault in the air. Now, this is it. They banned chair shots to the head, but there's no way they could ban that, because he hit himself in the head. And, and, and quote-unquote, it was an accident. He could always say that. You know that was O'Reilly being like, this is my time to shine. You know. He's like, this is how we do things in Ring of Honor. I take a gratuitous chair shot and make a really crazy overact. I had to pause it for like 15 minutes as I left. It was pretty good. Dane finally enters the cage. He locks the cage behind himself 
and swallows the key on camera. That's fun. Really, the rest of the match, it's basically all about. Oh, Killian he's fucking Dane. amazing. He he runs this both in terms of character work and storytelling, but he gets off some massive spots on other people. It's it's really great. Moro at one point says that the War Games match, it changes people. It changes their DNA. No, it doesn't, Moro. What are you talking about? Well, you know, in the video game uh, Resident Evil, zombies are made with DNA. DNA. Whatever, It's like Moro. War Games is ooze. Yeah. I don't know what the hell. And it's going to... He's really just mad that they put that fucking toy ring in front of him. He's been playing with his... He's, he's been playing with the dolls. He's playing with the wrestle dolls and he's just saying stuff. Young's nose gets busted open. By doing a Death Valley driver with Akim on his shoulders onto Razor. <laughs> he's a teeny tiny yeah. one. But he is like super Yeah, he's, he's built, a so. strong guy. But like... He's like half their size. Authors of Pain come for Adam Cole, and Adam Cole runs to the top of the cage. It's important to note that each commentator needs to spend about five seconds plus describing the fact that if he gets over the top of the cage, then every, if, he, if he reaches the ground, then his team is disqualified. Just again. With Adam Cole up on top of the cage, Authors of Pain go, they set up two tables. They're going to pull him down and presumably put him through the tables. But as they reach for Adam Cole, Wolf comes up and does a super German suplex to Akam through the tables. This is where he hits his head nasty on Holy these tables. Shit. And you wish he had hair, because like that would have saved something. Something, something would have yeah. happened. He needs stitches for sure. They uh, on NXT this week. They do. They have some shots of the three teams after the match, and Roderick Strong and Authors of Pain look bad. Undisputed Era looks bad. <laughs> Sanity. They're just all bleeding. They look like they've been thrown through a wheat yeah. thresher. Wolf. Worst of all, I think. I. I really think it was. Oh my god! I saw that gash, and it's like, oh my god, that's not good. Cole is crawling around on top of the cage like Solid Snake. And Nigel says, Cole, he's poised to strike, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Cole does the Adam Cole baby and looks like he's about to attack. But Strong runs up the cage and now Adam Cole's like, oh no, somebody's coming to hit me. I don't want to be hit. So he cowers. Roderick Strong gets him ready for a suplex. And the entire crowd starts chanting, you will die. You will die. <laughs> Obviously, they all want to see this, but they also want to play along with the idea that they don't want to see this. Right. How could they possibly die? They have eight motherfuckers just scrambling to get into place to look up at the... God damn it. God damn it. That wasn't that I, bad. Come I on. know. It's just... Uh, just push them off. Just push them off, right? How interesting is that? Strong gets the suplex. Everybody gets bowled over. He only gets a two count, though. No one is standing up. Everyone starts hitting their finishers. As Eric Young is picking up a chair to attack Adam Cole, Adam Cole hits him with a shining wizard. Onto the chair. Chair hits him in the face. Goes for the pin. 
No one can break it up. Undisputed Era wins. Everyone's freaking out. They go to get out of the cage, but remember Dane locked the cage with a chain. O'Reilly opens a chair and sits down, presumably to wait for Dane to pass the key. O'Reilly's the man. I have a question to ask you. Do you think you could possibly dispute this victory? It, it is undisputed. You can't dispute it. It's undisputed. What a fucking Let's, crazy um, shit show of a match. <laughs> I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a great. It was a great ending to the to the show. I, I gave it a hard time on a, on some things, but honestly, you can't not give it a hard time uh, because of how fucking much of a clusterfuck it is, just by design. Uh, it's a crazy match, and it was really good. It lived up to the hype because everybody got a ton of spots, and that's what we were looking for. We wanted spots. We wanted crazy shit. We got it. And if you compare it to stuff like Hell in a Cell or, you know, whatever, it, it comes out favorably, I would say. I loved this pay-per-view. I really enjoyed it all. In general, it was really good. It showcased the talent a lot. The wrestlers themselves were able to, you know, portray their characters as best as they could in, in, a, in a good way. Because uh, uh, I would say in part because the camera work was really good. I thought that that really brought another level to it. This was like really an indie kind of show. There was a lot of people getting their shit in. There was a lot of like extra super special spot. In a way, I was jealous of Houston because they were so crazy and everything was happening so crazy. But in another way, I was really happy we got what we got and they got this because this is a fun match to watch on TV. If I was there personally, I probably would have had a great time. It makes me a little nervous. This is a little almost too indie of a show to me. Most of the matches, at the very least, told really good stories that um, sure. were largely like character driven and attitude driven, you know, like even sure. with the War Games match, which is probably the biggest spot clusterfuck. A lot of it is still about like Adam Cole's character being an opportunistic coward and Fish and O'Reilly being like these overzealous insane people and you know the way that authors of pain and roderick strong worked together was much better than i thought it was going to turn out being well we haven't talked about anything except matches this week so we're going to have a ton to talk about next week we got a whole bunch of call-ups happening mm. we've got the very ground of nxt changing beneath our feet as multiple title changes have happened that'll be fun but that's gonna have to wait for next week i guess i'll see you then and we'll learn what's next what's nxt what's nxt